Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in the beginning, with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not receive him or accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, you o Christ. Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Maker and our Redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> of the four Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John are the ones that include a Christmas story. Luke's is the most well-known. It's the one where we read about Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem with no room in the inn when they got there, but a stable that does have some room and shepherds in the field and a choir of angels and a manger for a newborn in swaddling cloths. Matthew's is the gospel that tells us about those wise men from the east who followed a star to Bethlehem to give those gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. It seems clear they did not arrive on Christmas Eve, for by the time they arrived, Matthew says the place they found Mary and Joseph and Jesus wasn't anymore in a stable, but in a house. I don't know, perhaps one of Jesus, Joseph's relatives had a room open up after some other relatives had left to return home after registering for the census. Or maybe it was a verbal thing that popped up on, Math on Matthew's home screen when he was, on Joseph's home screen when he was scrolling through his homepage. In any event, some speculate that it might actually have been as much as two years after the first Christmas that the Magi did at last arrive in Bethlehem. <laughs> 
Their arrival is remembered on the church calendar, not on Christmas Day, but rather on the day of Epiphany at the conclusion of the Christmas season. The day of Epiphany, every year, is January 6th. 12 days after December 25. Unfortunately, in this country, for the foreseeable future, January 6, including especially this coming one on this coming Thursday, will be remembered by most not for the journey made by faith and wisdom, guided by a star and in search of truth and promises kept, but rather for the journey made by anarchic hubris and gullible foolishness guided by lies in search of promises to overturn. Matthew's Gospel is also one that tells us that when King Herod got wind of a newborn king, he heard not tidings of good news of great joy for all people, but rather a threat to him personally. He wasn't wrong. For as the carol sings, chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and, and in his name all oppression shall cease, which is a beautiful promise for the oppressed, but absolutely a threat to oppressors. In today's Gospel reading, we hear John's Christmas story. Unlike both Luke and Matthew, who mentioned specific people like a Caesar named Augustus and a governor named Quirinius and a king named Herod, as well as specific places like Nazareth in Galilee and Jerusalem and Bethlehem in Judea, by way of locating the story at a particular place and time in human history, John's story reads less like history and geography and more like I think really quite elegant theology, including the first three words of his gospel with which John succinctly, elegantly, theologically links the story he's about to tell to the Bible's entire big picture story. And he does that by beginning his gospel with the very same three words that began the Bible. Remember those three words? Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And how, according to Genesis 1, did God do? God's creating with words. God's saying things like, let there be this, and just like that, this there was. And then God saying words like, let there be that, and just like that, that there was. A side note, people say actions speak louder than words. It's certainly true when the words are the words we often speak. God's words, on the other hand, says the Bible here and elsewhere, God's words create the very thing they speak of. Which is to say that God's words speak every bit as loudly as actions. For in the vocabulary and grammar and power and mystery and majesty of God, you cannot have one without the other. And so when God says, let there be this, this there is. And so too, for example, when God says something like, 
Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. For in the vocabulary and grammar and power and mystery and majesty of God, words are actions. In the beginning, says Genesis 1, God took action. God created, and the way God created was by speaking words. Words which, being word of God, happened as God spoke them. All of which you can be certain John absolutely intends for you to bear in mind as you read the beginning of his gospel. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And without Him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not overcome it. Such deft and subtle and profound moves John makes here in so few words. The first move being the move that tells us that the Word of God is not just powerful because it is a divine thing, it is powerful too because it is a living thing, which John makes clear by referring to the Word not as it, but as Him. And then another succinctly elegant move. God, says John, says Genesis, created sun and moon, day and night, light and dark, and all, said God, were good. But now, in John, God's word is called light that the darkness did not, cannot, will not overcome. The darkness John has moved here to, you see, is not the darkness of night created by God, but rather the darkness of sin, the darkness of the desires of not God created among and by us with a little help from God's not friend. God's response to the deal and dealings with a word, world infected by the most widespread and easily transmissible virus there is, the virus the Bible calls sin, whose viral load is so powerful as to have infected absolutely everyone, is, I think, inarguably the most important theme of the Old Testament which ends with the hope and promise that God will yet, in time to come, shine with light in the world and heal the world of its sin and sin's inevitable ultimate symptom, that being death. In the Bible's understanding, the mortality rate for the sin infected is 100%. Six centuries after 
The Old Testament ended with both sin and promise. John writes, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is not the author of the gospel, but John the Baptist, who says, John says in his gospel, came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Indeed, John then goes on to say he did come into the world. Came to those to whom he'd been promised, some of whom welcomed him, but most of whom didn't. Because, why? Because he came as truth and light. And here's the truth. Many are those in the world who prefer darkness to light. Indeed, probably all of us at one time or another have preferred darkness to light. For though in the light I can see, which sounds like a good thing, as it turns out there are things I really don't want to see. Not to mention the fact that in the light I can be seen entirely, but in truth I, and you too if you're infected by the same sin virus I am, would rather have control over that by being able to be seen only selectively. You and God seeing only the things about me that cast me in a favorable light. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, John continues, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then John's magnificently succinct actual Christmas story, which is actually just one verse long. That verse being John 1.14, which reads, And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. During this COVID-19 pandemic, and again this morning, we have relied on and we have been so grateful for the multiple digital ways we have of communicating with each other. And in any glimpse of the future that I can see, that will remain true for as far as I can see. For technology, not just now, but always will allow us to communicate with others with whom we otherwise could not. But we have also learned, have we not? that some messages can only be delivered by their best at their best if they are delivered in person, in the flesh. A marriage proposal, for example, comes to mind. Or news of a loved one's death. Or a final goodbye to a loved one who is dying. In such cases and others too, delivering the message in person makes an enormous difference, not only because we can say the words face to face, but too because we can also give and receive tangible and physical expressions of love 
and compassion. So too, says John, the God who is love, with the message of hope and healing and compassion and salvation for the sin-infected whom God has never stopped loving, understands that love at its very best and words at their very best are only their very best when they are shared, not remotely but in person, in the flesh, face to face. I had something I wanted to tell my dear and beautiful daughter a couple of mornings ago, but I knew I couldn't say it the way I wanted to say it unless I hugged her as I said it. So I went to her place in the flesh to hug her and tell her what I wanted to say. So too says John God, wanting to tell God's beloved, but God also wants to tell all whom God loves, decided that, that could only be done most clearly by coming to our place to say it. Or in John's exact words, the word became flesh and lived among us. By the way, the Greek for lived among us could also be translated pitched a tent in our yard. And in doing so, John goes on to say, revealed himself to be, quote, full of grace and truth, unquote. Full of grace and truth. This phrase, I think, I have spent as much time with as I have spent with any other phrase in all of Scripture because it fascinates me, giving himself only two words to describe the fullness of the glory of God come to us fully in the flesh as Jesus. The two words John chooses are grace and truth. Both of them, it seems to me, are precious but rare things in God's world. Both of them, too, it seems to me, though it grieves me to say so, are also increasingly rare things in the church. I mean, I just hear and see so many things said or posted these days in the name of God, and so much of it seems not even slightly spiced with grace much less full of grace. And I hear and see so many things said or posted in the name of God too these days, which, I mean, if Jesus is the truth, which John here and elsewhere says he is, then these things all over the place that I hear and read aren't true because they don't have anything whatsoever to do with Jesus. They don't rhyme with Jesus who, John says, come to our place in the fullness of the glory of God, did so full of grace and truth. It occurred to me long ago, and it occurs to me still, that I think you might actually have to be Jesus. Fully to pull off being fully grace and simultaneously fully truth. Because for those of us who try simultaneously to walk a path of both grace and truth, and I like to think that I'd try, it's so easy, almost inevitably, to slip into the ditch of more of what we call grace and little or no truth, or more of what we call truth and little or no grace. 
And though this may be overly simplistic, let me suggest that what that often looks like is something like this. In the ditch of grace with little or no truth, sinners are loved by a church that really doesn't have much against sin. Whereas in the ditch of truth with little or no grace, sin is hated by a church that doesn't have any room for sinners. Sinners in general in some cases, but sinners of particular sins in a lot of cases. Sinners of sins that church people know are worse, way worse than any of our sins. We know they are relatively trivial in comparison to those sins. Jesus, John says, and this amazes me, didn't fall into a ditch of either grace or truth. He walked the path of, indeed, he literally in the flesh was simultaneously the fullness of both grace and truth. Grace. God's free of charge, favor, and love and gifts for sinners. O oh Lord, my God, this world so needs, we each of us so need, and we, your church, know your call to be the fullness of your grace. Sadly, sin infected, it's beyond us. But it's not beyond you. By the power of your Holy Spirit in this new year, may your grace become us. And truth, God's unwavering fight against the power and lies and ways of sin. O oh Lord, my God, this world so needs, we each of us so need, and we, your church, know your call for us to be the fullness of your truth. But sadly, sin infected, that is beyond us. But it's not beyond you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, in this new year, may your truth become us in our flesh, in your world. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Amen.